everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Hey guys, Brandon back with another Turbo. I want to offer a concept to you today, which um, is not discussed terribly often, although I think many experienced clinicians understand it, and I think can be of tremendous utility at the bedside because it's a it's a pitfall. And there's nothing that I think is more valuable to learn in a didactic sort of context like this, if we can uh, call ourselves didactic, it's just me talking into a microphone, but nothing more useful to learn in ways like this than pitfalls because those are things that you may not learn at the bedside in the course of your practice. And if you do, it will be by the route of causing somebody harm. I mean, mistakes are always great teaching tools, but they're kind of a drag for the patient you had to learn on. So let me uh, offer it to you now, and then maybe it can help you avoid a problem the next time you see these patients. The concept here I've made up a name for, which is not a good name. I'm open to other suggestions, but I think it's probably the kind of thing that might help to have a name for. Let's call it Radio Peep Discordance. It is a discordance or disconnect between radiographic findings and the amount of PEEP a patient is on. So how does this work? Let me paint you a picture. You come across a patient. Let's say they had been intubated uh, by somebody else, and they're on the ventilator now, and when you find them, they're on 18 centimeters of water of PEEP. So that's quite a high PEEP, right? If we consider uh, our typical minimum, something like five, uh, this is way towards the high end of the spectrum uh, that you would ever use for patients in the most severe respiratory failure. So your, your starting point here, your pretest probability, your baseline assumption is that a patient on this much PEEP must have a tremendous amount of shunt physiology. They have a large number of alveoli, many lung units, that are shunted by something. So they probably have something like ARDS or something like a pneumonia. They have something in their lungs that is making it difficult to recruit many of their alveoli. It's in the way or it's encouraging atelectasis. And the only way to prevent that is to hopefully recruit some lung during the inspiratory phase of the breath and then to maintain it at the end of the breath with a high expiratory pressure. And the more difficult to recruit the majority of their lung, the more pressure you're probably gonna end up needing. Of course, there are other factors here, but that's just your starting point here. A patient with probably a high FiO2 and certainly a high PEEP, it must be because they have a great deal of shunt. Now, you go and look over that patient's chart or maybe you do a new study, like an x-ray, maybe even a CT. Uh, The most common thing is x-rays. You look at their x-ray and you say, wow, this is a pretty clear chest x-ray. Meaning, I don't see a great deal of consolidation or atelectasis. I see a lot of air in these lungs. These are well-aerated lungs. I'm not saying there is no disease but it's not much, and here's the key part, it doesn't seem to fit with a patient who required this much PEEP. There is, to some extent, 
And of course, it's comparing apples to apples, but it really, it's more like comparing apples to the cost of apples. There is a connection here. There is some fit or connection between how much PEEP you're offering the patient and how much stuff that's not air is in their lungs, right? There is, the, on some level, it's a loose connection. But when you have a patient with a very high PEEP with very clear lungs, that should make you ask questions. Now, what are the possibilities here? One possibility is that the disease in their lungs was not caught on the x-ray. Sure, uh, plain chest x-ray, AP, and the ICU, these are very blunt tools. Sometimes you get a CT or something, and you see all kinds of stuff that you didn't see on the chest x-ray. That's true. But again, at the extremes, you can still draw some conclusions. A very clean-looking chest x-ray and a very high peep still doesn't make a lot of sense. Other possibilities. There was a great deal of shunt here, but by virtue of your positive pressure and your PEEP and these other tools, you have fixed it. You have managed to recruit a lot of that lung that was not aerated. That is possible, but what should that make you do? Probably it should make you reduce the PEEP because the job has been done. It's always gonna require more pressure to recruit lung than to keep it recruited. And I think it's wrong to say, well, we needed this much pressure, let's just keep it to make sure we keep this lung open. Yes, I'm not saying to take away their positive pressure and you'll probably flatten that lung back out, but you should attenuate it because more pressure is not good for patients. And I, I think the physiology here is key. It's not just that offering a patient too much PEEP is not necessary, it is harmful. Now it may encourage lung injury because it's additional positive pressure in the lungs. Now, probably more your injury is happening during the inspiratory part of the breath because the pressure is always higher then, but a higher PEEP contributes to that. Your inspiratory pressures are always gonna stack on top of whatever your PEEP was, whether you're in a volume or a pressure mode. No matter what, increasing your PEEP is gonna involve a higher pressure to either hit your target volumes or pressure. So attenuating that is probably always good for lung injury. But, and here's the twist, it is also going to be worse for oxygenation. And let me give you the last example to segue into this. The last possibility here, and I think it's probably the most common one, is this sinister loop that happens where a patient is legitimately hypoxic for some reason, maybe a transient reason. Some little bump happens and they have a little deset, so someone turns up their peep. However, it is actually more PEEP than they needed. Most of their lung is actually recruited. And this includes, by the way, you may still have some areas that are atelectatic or shunted by fluid, pus, whatever, but you're not able to recruit it because it's, it's so densely consolidated. It's, let's say there's a mechanical compression. There's like a tumor blocking the airway. You're not gonna open that up by any reasonable amount of PEEP, or it's just some you know incredibly thick, proteinaceous goo that you would need far more pressure than you're giving. So you turned up the peep, but it didn't open that lung up. What happens to that pressure? Well, it goes into the good lung. It goes into the aerated lung. All you're doing now is additionally distending those alveoli that were already full of air. Okay, so what? Well, you haven't changed the physiology here, but you may have actually worsened their VQ matching.
the matching of their ventilated lung units to their perfused lung units. How so? Well, the ventilated lung units that are open and good and getting air, you have over-distended those alveoli. You are stretching those alveoli out more. And the pulmonary capillaries that run through the walls of those alveoli are delicate. They are easily distensible and compressible. And if you apply enough pressure to them, you can start to flatten them out. You can squish them and reduce flow of blood through them. So the more and more pressure you apply to ventilated alveoli, not only are you increasing the risk of lung injury by stretching them out, causing little micro fractures, but you will start to actually reduce the blood flow through them. So you have reduced blood flow through ventilated alveoli. Where does that blood go? You haven't reduced the cardiac output from the right heart. That blood's going somewhere. It's getting pushed to the non-ventilated alveoli, to whichever portions of that lung are not getting air, they're getting more and more blood. And whatever blood goes through those alveoli is coming out deoxygenated. It has exchanged no gas. And as it mixes back in to the venous return from the lungs, it is causing overall hypoxemia. So the more you turn up the pressure to good lung, the worse your oxygenation becomes. So you can see how a, a positive feedback loop can be created here, starting with turning up PEEP for maybe a, a real reason, maybe no reason, but something that was maybe transient or minor. And you turn it up enough that you actually worsen that VQ matching and even worsen hypoxia. So then you look at the patient who is hypoxic and you say, you know what they need? More PEEP. So you turn it up more and then you worsen their hypoxia more. And this is a, a cycle that can be hard to escape from because you're causing the very problem that you're trying to treat. How do you end up? You end up with this patient who is on a PEEP of 18 or 20 or whatever and is still hypoxic. And now you're saying, wow, do I need to prone this patient, paralyze them, put them on ECMO, do all kinds of you know, end-stage treatments for you know, hypoxic disease? But you should take pause and you should maybe look at their x-ray or whatever you have and ask, is this an image that is consistent with somebody who is requiring this much PEEP? A patient who really needs that much PEEP should have a horribly consolidated lung. They should have airspace disease that is incredibly dense throughout both lungs in essentially every field. They should have a lung that looks like there's not much air in it. It should look like somebody spilled an entire box of cotton balls on the front of their chest before the x-ray. If you see a lung that has pretty nice architecture and a lot of really nicely aerated lung, you should ask, is this patient just being overpeeped? Who knows how or why we got to this point, but at this particular stage, they don't need this much peep, and it is in fact causing rather than treating their hypoxia. How will you know? Well, it's real simple. You go down. You give them a, a downward trial of their PEEP titration, and you see what the impact is. If you're into it, you could do trials and follow their compliance or their driving pressures or something which should improve, but you could also quite simply look at their oxygenation. If you go down on their PEEP and their oxygenation improves, then I think you found your problem. And a patient like this, 
you know, you may be able to go down from 20 a peep to five a peep in a short amount of time, and you end up perfectly well auctionated because that wasn't the problem. Even outside of some of these acute problems, you know, offering a patient too much peep has a lot of downstream sequela as well. You can imagine if for any reason you had a patient on far too much peep, what is that gonna mean for their uh, trajectory of their mechanical ventilation? Well, many people, their process for managing PEEP is to go up to whatever the patient needs and then to very slowly wean it over a period of days because they assume whatever the disease process is that required it is gonna take time to resolve. So a, a person like that, they find a patient who's on PEEP at 20 and they say, well, they're doing okay. Maybe they'll drop it to 18 today. And then maybe tomorrow they'll drop it to 16. And then they're going to spend the next 10 days weaning that peep off when in reality they may have never needed it. Now this patient is going to have all of the sequela and complications of a prolonged ventilator course when in fact they might have been extubatable tomorrow. Never mind whatever additional lung injury, whatever delirium they've incurred from the sedation they've been on, uh, whatever weakness they've developed from being in bed all this time, and so on and so forth. Now, this is one good reason, I think, for your approach to PEEP uh, being a little more physiologic, using some means of trying to titrate the amount of PEEP they need to their actual physiology, which may vary by the day or even by the hour, and it may involve both going up or going down uh, pretty quickly. I often like things like driving pressures to get some sense for how open or compliant their lung really is, uh, because I, I do think that for anyone, there's a right amount of PEEP, and too much or too little is bad. Uh, this is just one great example of it, but I think it applies to many patients. If you're giving them too much, it's at least as bad as too little. The other possibility we didn't mention was that the patient is hypoxic for a reason which is not related to airspace disease. They have a lot of well-ventilated lung, but they're hypoxic for some other reason. In the most classic would probably be something like a PE. Another example would be some kind of shunt physiology, which is not that physiologic shunt involving airspace disease in the lung, but is like an anatomic shunt. They have um, a PFO or an AVM somewhere, and there's just diversion of venous blood into the arterial side, skipping the lungs altogether. These are things to consider, certainly, when you have that nice clear chest, but real hypoxia. Uh, but again, these are not diseases that'll improve and in fact may be harmed by additional PEEP. A lot of this types of shunt you could worsen by increasing pressure in the chest. You're just forcing more blood to follow that hole in the septum or whatever. So if you're not opening up de-recruited alveoli, then your PEEP is not helping the patient. And any PEEP that's not helping the patient is at best unnecessary and at worst is harmful. Look for that radio PEEP discordance and even better, suggest a better name for it, but it's something to keep your radar out for. Talk to you soon. <laughs>